It's the Post Traumatic Faith Podcast with your host, Jill Riley. On this podcast, Jill explores what faith can look like after trauma. Hi, I'm Jill Riley. I am an author and a minister. I am also a trauma survivor and live with complex PTSD, depression, anxiety, and a dissociative disorder. My prayer is that post-traumatic faith will bring you hope and joy in your own journey. Welcome to Post-Traumatic Faith. This is Jill Riley, and today I am joined by Cece Owen. Hi, Cece. Hello, hello. After some technical difficulties here, we find ourselves together finally online. Yes. <laughs> Let me tell you a little bit about Cece. Cece has been a warrior her entire life. God has used life's trials to mold her into the daughter of the Most High that she is today. She has practiced in martial arts, and her life has been marked by rejection, abandonment, but the lessons God taught her through the martial arts crafted her into a relentless fighter for good. All of us are fighting something. Allow her to inspire and empower you regardless of what trials you face. So thank you for that for that introduction. And tell us, um, tell us a little bit about your life now that we don't know about. Okay, I guess that's a lot because um, those that know me will probably be stunned and shocked that I made it through. Yes. But the beauty of it is that I am hope for them. If they can see me now, they would say, if she can do it, so can I. Yeah. That's the most important thing. Yeah. So tell us, um, you had a really tumultuous childhood, um, starting from basically birth on. Can you tell us a little bit about, about your beginnings? Well, um, yeah, basically my beginnings were, I, I don't know, I would say kind of okay. And, um, until which I call the sperm donor. Um, my father and my mom's my the woman that took me in mm-hmm. when they start having adult issues yeah you know him lying cheating and the whole thing and she didn't want anything to do with him anymore so to get back at her he did this remarkable thing and that was to come get me for ice cream and never brought me back. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Out of, I had a bed. I wanted to be a doctor. I had a loving home. I had food on a table. I had a roof over my head. I had all those things, which I guess a lot of people take for granted until it's gone. Yeah. As a kid, that's, that's what I had. And when he took me and never brought me back, my first stop was a bar. Was a bar? Was a bar. And of course, I'm in a world that I have no clue. Everything is different and new and, you know, crazy, you know, because I'm just a kid. How old were you? I had to be around... Eight. Okay. Seven, eight, somewhere like that. And um, he would introduce me to all these women. 
Okay. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I felt a little uneasy because it was, I didn't know what alcohol was, but it was a smell that was kind of nauseating. Right. It was cigarette smoke, you know, all, all the dirtiness that I wasn't used to, you know, but, um, and I ended up with him and going someplace, which I thought was his place. And um, he brought me to this house. And he said, this is going to be your new mom. And oh. I didn't really understand that. So he dropped me off at this place, one of his many women. He dropped me off there. They had a conversation. Um and before I knew it, I was taught that when you when you meet someone, you speak proper and you curse, right. you know. So, of course, I'm saying, hello, it's nice to meet you. And I curse, you know, and I did what I thought I was supposed to do. And when he left, she turned around and looked at me and said, you're trying to be white and just start punching me. Oh. So, um, I didn't know what trying to be white was. I thought I didn't curse properly. Properly. So I didn't right. speak as proper as I should. So now I'm in this world of acceptance, trying to find acceptance, trying to be loved, trying to understand all this stuff. And that's because when my birth mother, which is a Caucasian woman, mm-hmm. when they, when her family found out that the sperm donor was a black man, they had to get rid of me. Oh, so they so, sent her away. Um, they didn't send her away for as I know of. I just know that. When he came to his apartment, back then they had these big, deep kitchen sinks, basins. Mm-hmm. And I was wrapped in this um, in these blankets, I was told. And there was a note saying, she's yours, you know? So however the adults dealt with it, I don't know. I just know that from what I was told by the, as I grew up asking a lot of people that that should have never happened because we're talking about, um, I was born in 58. So in America, there was, you know, from my understanding, a few years before me, black water fountains, white water fountains, and now you right. have this going on. So anyhow, that's how so, that happened. So interracial relationships were absolutely not accepted. Oh, no, 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 no. It was not. And I guess I got the brunt of it. Yeah. You know? So when he dropped you off at this woman's house, did he live there? Did he come back? No. He just dropped you off. He just dropped me off. And never came back. And that continued a lot of hostility, anger. Because I, you just dropped this kid off and you're supposed to be my man. And 
you didn't come back and and when you do come back, you know, there's a fight going on and and just all that kind of drama. I've seen him maybe maybe twice <laughs> when he came back to that house. But then of course wow. I got picked up on the second time and dropped off at someone else's house and the same thing. I'm going to introduce you to your new mom. Oh. Yeah. How old were you then? Oh, I don't know. Um, I stayed in that one house probably for about a year and a half. And when you, I was introduced to the ghetto at that time. And I don't know if you know this, but there's a history of divide between a light-skinned person and a more darker-skinned person. Yes, and because I was light skin and long hair, I got the brunt of being bullied in school, being beat up. And I didn't speak like everyone else did because that's not how I was taught. Right. So that made me not speak much because I was not speaking like them. Right. You know, so, and then on top of that, whatever school I was in, I ended up as a teacher's pet because of my grades. And it was just how I was growing up at one point when that woman took me in, who I call my mother to this day, even though she passed, but I call her my mother. And um, she she came looking for me. Hmm. She did come looking for me, but so your biological mother, did she try to find you? I have no idea. I have no idea. You know, I was thinking about that a couple of weeks ago. Should I go and try to find her and see and the family? You know, but if they didn't want a person of color or a mixed in there family, then maybe I should just leave it alone. Mm. You know, you know, that's interesting that you say that I am an adopted child, but I was abandoned in Korea. And people have asked me a lot if I wanted to go find my birth relatives. And I have some of the same emotion. They didn't want me. They abandoned me. They, why would I go hunt them down? Like that just feels like it would open up another wound, not be, um, not be an answer to anything. So I kind of have a similar emotion about, about my origins. Yeah. Suppose they reject you, you know, um, right. or try to do bodily harm. You know, I, I, I really don't need that. Mm-mm. You know, and the Lord hasn't really moved me in that direction anyway. Mm-hmm. And I try not to do those type of moves unless I am strong and convinced to do it. Right. Unless the Holy Spirit speaks very clearly. Yeah. 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 So um, you lived in homes with a lot of uncertainty, but you also have talked to me a little bit about being influenced in your homes by prostitutes and alcoholics. Um, (laughs) You were, you were surrounded by a horrible environment, right? Yes. Yes, I was. Um, 
I did not, of course, I didn't understand. I was pretty much sheltered in the beginning, you know? So Mm -hmm. when I saw things, I saw them, I couldn't relate to what it was exactly, the different men coming in and out, the uh, alcohol, why I couldn't go to school because I had to clean up the vomit and get clear up the bottles and, you know... um, Mm. It was a very different type of uh, atmosphere for sure, very uncertainty, and I'm sure that developed PTSD and other things for a child coming up in that, because I've never been beaten like that before, you know? So in a tub, you're taking a bath, and before you know it, there's an extension cord welling on you, you know? So what happens to a child's psyche? You never feel safe. Never feel safe. You know? So I had to do that. Well, you know, you told me um, at one part, at one point, you tried to get help from Department of Family Services and they turned you away. Oh my God. uh, And this story to me is just really overwhelming. Um, Tell us about that. Maybe things have changed now. I don't know. But here you are, a kid on the street. And you're told by hearing things on the street that you can go to this place and you can get some help. So you go to is what's called Division Youth and Family Services in Newark, New Jersey. And I went in. I spoke to a counselor. Um, that's what they are called. And I told her exactly everything. And she told me to wait right there. So I'm like, okay, maybe help. I'm going to get some kind of help. You know? Yeah. So she bring this other counselor in. And I repeat the exact same thing. Nothing changed. I mean, it was my life. And I was told when I think of a better story, then come back. They escorted me out to the door. And I'm trying to tell them, but it's the truth. And they pushed me out and slammed the door. And I just cried and slid down the door because I had no money. I I, I didn't know about life skills. You know, I didn't know about money. I didn't know about hustling. I I didn't know anything. Unbelievable. So what do you do? Unbelievable. You just walk the streets and you find a place to go. And the prostitutes would say to me, dressed like a boy, um, you know, the baggy clothes and all of that. And they would help, they would feed me and they would keep me away from the pimps. If they they know the area is hot, you know, they would tell me go away from this area, you know, Mm -hmm. things like that. Um, So that's, (sighs) that's how it was then. Wow. So how long did you live on the streets? Well, I think I got my first, I 
if you want my first room, I had to go through a man that was in a 4-H, 4-H club. And back then, I was able to get um, some kind of stipend for kids okay. working for the summer. Which So I guess I was around... I was in high school. Um, I left, I ran away when I was go- turning 15. So around 14, 14, 15 in between there mm-hmm. is when I ran away from that last abuse of home. And um, I just um, finally got a little apartment which was sometime afterwards because I couldn't sleep in people's cars anymore because their parents would, you know, Oh, you got to get up before my parents come. And if you never slept in a car in the wintertime, it's cold. Oh yeah. Okay. The snow and the ice. So I don't know. I was, wow. I guess by this time I was, yeah, around 14. 14. Wow. And so you finally finally got a place to stay and weren't unhomed anymore. Um, so. Yeah, I got a, a little room, if you will. Uh-huh. And that's when I learned that you know, you need money to pay the bills, you need money to food and, you know, and I had a speedy, that's what it was called, you know, speedy job. And I love school. I, I love to learn. So I was always trying to find, you know, something to do and to learn and to grow. And um, I had no idea that Men just want sex. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter your age. Yeah. I'm looking for a father figure. I'm looking for someone to love me. You know, I'm dealing with all these, all this baggage, all these issues. But as time moved on, I started to develop a more awareness, understanding what was my purpose and my reason, Mm -hmm. you know, see, if you've never been anywhere or done anything, then you can't help anybody. Right. So I ended up eventually working in television and then out of television, I eventually start working in law enforcement. And the funny part is I got out of television because there were sharks and I I don't, I'm already abused psychologically, emotionally. I don't need to be around sharks. Right. Okay. I just don't need to be around that. And I said, you know what? I need a backbone. Even though I had martial arts, my heart was still not violent. I, I, 
I had love for people. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? That was never taken away. So I ended up in the law enforcement arena because I said I needed a backbone. But what I didn't know was I jumped out of the frying pan into the fire. Ah, how so? In that era of the 80s, women was not looked at in a lot of professions. Then, of course, I have a tan. Mm -hmm. And I'm 5'3". So all of that constituted, we don't want you here, women shouldn't be here, because it was only men. So when you go in the break room, you see all these pornography pictures up. You mm-hmm. see, you know, you see the vaginas, you see the breasts, you, you see all of that. And that was their world. And here women coming into the fields and we're saying that has to come down. Now you're infringing on their rights. Right. Right. You're not part now, of their club. Now there's an issue. So I, I went through a lot of different issues. And the beauty of it is, honestly, looking back at it now, I'm glad that I went through those trials and tribulations because how I came out the other side. Hmm. I came out the other side as a winner. Mm-hmm. And I've always believed in God, even as a little child. I just knew I had no understanding. But I just knew there was a God. I had encounters, spiritual encounters, you know. um. Did anybody take you to church or introduce you to the Bible or uh, no, you just had this, this feeling that there was something bigger than yourself? Yes. Yes. I remember one time who I called my mother. I remember she was in a choir at this huge church and I was sitting up next to her. And as I looked down, people was being baptized. So I'm thinking perhaps maybe in the house, it was just that spirit that was there. I don't know, Mm -hmm. but I do know that regardless of how bad it was or whatever I went through, I was, it was as if there was always some kind of silver lining as to say, okay, I'm teaching you something. I'm showing you something. You know, I had to get rid of a lot of baggage. Yes. And the only way I got rid of that baggage was my faith. And I, I really think if I may say this and, you know, this is how I perceived it. And I still hold to this. And this is before I got taken out the house. I remember like yesterday, a dream I had when I was falling off this cliff and I was falling. And as I was falling, there was this fear that tried to take over me. And I remember calling God's name, God, God, 
God. And I got all the way down to the end of the cliff, an inch away from my head hitting the bottom of the cliff. And I still called God to that very point. And when I got there, I was set up on my feet and the dream left. Mm. Powerful. And I, I believe that was a part of my faith, you know? Yes. But, and then I ended up, I ended up later on as an adult. I, I didn't know why I was sent to work in law enforcement. I thought it was to get a backbone, but I ended up, when I got off the street as an officer, I started going into the jails and the prisons. Mm -hmm. And I would say, God, why am I being around these people? I grew up around these people. Why would I want to be around these people? And then it dawned on me that this was a ministry. Yes. And that was a hard walk. And the reason it was a hard walk wasn't because of the prisoners or the inmates or the people that got arrested. That wasn't the problem. It was the officers. Oh, okay. Because they would get stabbed, shanked, urine thrown at them, uh, suckered punch. But me, when I would walk into, and I'm not saying this to blow my horn, because I had nothing to do with it. This is all God. When I would walk into a difficult area, and they used to always send me in the most difficult areas. People would start clapping. And it made me kind of uncomfortable because I knew that the people in uniform is going to wonder, why is it? Why is she so popular? Yeah. Exactly. And you know what? It is so simple. You treat people right. Mm -hmm. When they ask for toilet tissue, you don't tell them to use your finger. Or if they need yeah. something, you know, if you're the only one that can get the information from them. Hey, officer, can you please tell me when the phones are open? And then you never come back. Yeah. You know, that that's not who I am. So I will come back and I would tell you. I mean, if you mess up, you got to wear that. But I didn't. People that tried to come against me that was locked up. Later on, they would come to me and apologize. And sometimes I totally forgot it because I grew up being called a bee, a hoe. And so the skin was tough. Right. Well, you're talking about treating people with just basic dignity and respect, right? Yeah, but that's not the law enforcement side. We are taught to look at them. They're the criminals. They will bust in your home. They will hurt your family. So it's them against you. So mm -hmm. you need to protect and serve because they're yeah. bad. And that's how you're, you're programmed. But as I start moving around and walking around the belly of the beast, I come to realize there's a lot of people hurting. Yeah, And sometimes you're in jail 
and you're not the person that committed the crime. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And you don't want your mother to go. So you'll say you did it or you're afraid of someone. So it's just a whole lot of stuff like that. Right. Let me ask you this, and this is totally um, spontaneous and off the cuff. So let me know if you're uncomfortable with this question, but I'm wondering how you feel about um, our current culture um, talking about uh, brutality in the police force. Uh, how, what's your, what's your feeling about that? I think it's, my feeling is it's a human problem. It doesn't matter where you are, you can be at McDonald's or in or a Fortune 500 company. There are hurting people, and hurting people hurt people. Mm, yes. Okay. Then you're also dealing with the bullies. I mean, I had training officers that should not have been training officers, but what can I say? My hands are tied, and if yeah. I try to go against the status quo, I'm crushed. Or I might end up with a bullet in my back. There's been times I had call for backup and no one came. Mm. And when I complained, they told me that's because they was at a titty bar. Excuse my. Oh, oh. And they told me, well, you know how men are. They don't have time. You know, sometimes they're just tied up with the women and you know where you women belong, you know. So, you know, that whole so I already saw my name on the wall, if you will. Right. So that's when I moved out of there and went into the jails and the prison and immigration and all that stuff. Did you like working for immigration? Oh, that was a very, very difficult job and the, And the reason it was so difficult is because in New Jersey, where I was at, if you was given asylum and it's two o'clock in the morning and it's snowing, it's a blizzard outside, you're released. Hmm. You've never been in this country. It's a blizzard outside. It's two in the morning. Male or female, you got to go. sent out. You're just sent out. I could not understand that. You, you was just sent out. Wow. Exactly. Exactly. And there's nothing you can do to, to help at that point, right? What can you do? You know? Right. I try to, being who I am, find out from the ministers and the people that come, is there a program that they can pick them up in the morning or something, you you know? And then when we bring people back, when we fly them back to their location, they would try to kill themselves before you send them back. Oh, my goodness. They would try to jump off the top tier. They would try to hang themselves, <clears throat> excuse me, or stuff their, their stuff their mouth with something to suffocate. One guy broke free, ran straight into a wall to try to snap his neck. So tough work, 
tough work. Well, now you are a Christian coach, right? Yes, I am. And so tell me about that work. What do you love about that work? I meet people where they are. I'm not there to change them. I'm there to love them. I'm there to listen. And once we get comfortable with some things, then I try to get to the heart of the matter because the heart is what Satan is after. That's the bullseye. That's Mm -hmm. why it's written. You have to protect your heart. Right. Because if I can get your heart, I can control you. And so the thing is to get them to go back into that heart chamber and invite the Lord in. There's times people, when they go back in these places, you ask them these questions. Do you not see the Lord here? Some would say, yeah, I see him at the door, but I'm not opening it. Why don't you want to open the door? Because he wasn't there when I needed him before. Mm. So why do you think he wasn't you know, there before? Did you call on him? No, he should have known. So, you know, you have to massage the heart and get them to want to, not get them to want to, but help them see that there's a way that they can be released from the trauma and the devastation, but you have to let them in. The heart has to be redone and cleansed and healed, Mm -hmm. you know? And just a side note, in my walk with God, the houses I was, the houses I was either abandoned in or beat up or whatever, I had to go back to some of these places even the women that abused me or any abuser, I had to go back. And when I went back and they saw me and as nasty as they were, they couldn't hurt me anymore. Right. So the power I took back. Yes. So that right there was like a badge of honor. And I was able to walk out of that situation as a conqueror. Right. Was it easy? No, in the beginning, you're sweating and, you know, you're going through these things, but they can't hurt you anymore. Right. Right. That's powerful. I mean, just to be able to reclaim um, reclaim and redeem what has been taken from you um, in the name of Christ is just a, a powerful witness, a powerful testimony. Let me say this. When you are marked for Christ and you come into this world, guess who's waiting for you? Mm. Exactly. So you're coming here for a mission. You're coming here for a reason and a purpose. 
You're not coming here to be comfortable. You're coming here to work. Because we are from another place. We're not in this world. I mean, we're here, but this is not our home. Mm-hmm. We're sent here to set the captives free. Yes. But if you've never been there and done that, how can you help me? And, and you have no clue of anything about me. Right. So by me working in the environments I was working in, I come to realize why I was in those environments. Is that part of your your purpose and goal as a coach is to help people find their purpose, their reason for being? Most definitely. Most definitely. A lot of times, again, remember the heart. A lot of times if Satan can take out that heart and, and put some weeds in there and stuff it with as much junk as possible, then that's what enemies do. If I can go ahead and take you out and cloud you with all this nonsense, then my job is done. But what they don't know is when God sends you for a job, it's going to be done. Mm -hmm. No matter what another person does. Look at us. Yeah. You've planted churches. Yeah. So, but we have to go through it. I think one of the worst kids is the preacher kids. (laughs) They are definitely attacked. Yes. They're like on the top of the meat grinder. You know? Absolutely. What I'm saying? Absolutely. So that's why, you know, I think it's imperative. I think it's imperative that we have a relationship. Not talk, oh, I pray once in a while, I go to church. No, 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 no. When you're in that alleyway and the gun is to your head, they don't ask you what church you go to or what's your religion. Right. They might these days, but anyway, you know, (laughs) (laughs) you know, but if you can stand regardless, because you know what I realized? There's a spiritual realm. Absolutely. And some of the things I've seen, I really don't want to see anymore. But hey, you know, um, I always ask God, look, if you send something, please don't try to scare the behavior out of me. You know, let me able to right. deal with what I'm seeing, please. <laughs> you know? Yes. And it's and it's kind of been that way. You know, I, I've had visitors, you know, and I've learned if it's not the right spirit, you got to go in the name yep. of Jesus, get out of here, you know? Absolutely. But that's, Absolutely. that's the beauty of it. Listen, you have a family and the reason you have the family is because they have a relationship with you. Yes. You know their name, you know their temperament, you know, you have a relationship. But if you don't have a relationship with Christ, then who are you? Well, yeah, you know, I prayed once in a while, you know, and I said hello to you. It's like, 
okay, but who are you? Right. It's a relationship that matters. Oh, most definitely. Or we wouldn't be able to stand here today. We would have been wiped out. (laughs) I would have been, that's for sure. (laughs) Yep. Well, now you're just preaching. (laughs) Okay. I got it from you. (laughs) (laughs) It's good. We probably could could both go a while. Well, I just have one more question for you, for for you. And I'm wondering, um, out of all of the life experiences and the different things that you've learned and, and gone through, what do you most want people to learn from your life so far? Believe. Mm. It's the most difficult, but that's the test. If don't, don't take it lightly. If you believe and God sends you through the trials and tribulations to test you, to see if you truly believe, I guarantee you God will show up mm, in ways that's you good. have no idea. That's good. But you got to believe. This is a war. Yeah. Okay. So if it's a war, it's not about giving you, it's not your birthday. I ain't gave you ice cream and cake. Let's go. Get up and let's move. <laughs> Get off your knees. Faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead. Get up and move and let me see your belief while you go through these trials and tribulations because you have an enemy you got to fight. So act yes. like you know. It ain't your birthday. Let's move. Let's move. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Cece, if people want to know more about you or get a hold of you, what's the best way to do that? Well, one of the ways is they can go through you. Okay. Yes, okay. absolutely. Or they can go to Antio's, Antio Speaks. Okay. Antio Speaks at gmail.com. And we will link that in our show notes. Cece, thank you so much for your time and for your message. And I just, I just, um, I just thank God for your life and that he's, he's preserved you and brought you to this moment so that you can bless me and that you can encourage others who, who listen in. So thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. God bless you. God bless you. Thanks for listening. Subscribe to the Post Traumatic Faith Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts today. You can follow Jill on social media on Facebook and Instagram, JillRiley.author, and on Twitter, JillRileyAuthor. Email Jill at JillRiley.org.